Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! Many, many years ago, I used to work for a pharmaceutical insurance company. I was making about $160,000 to $180,000 a year. I had gone to Oral Roberts University where I met my boss at the time who was my professor, and he hired me to go sell prescription drug cards. Now, the company I worked for was a pharmaceutical benefits manager, and basically we sold prescription drug cards. What a prescription drug card is, is if you have employee benefits or students, if you have uh, uh, medical benefits from your parents or anybody here that has medical benefits or employee benefits from your company, you should have gotten a drug card. A drug card is where you only pay a copay for a prescription at the pharmacy. So a prescription could cost $200, $300 or more, 100 bucks, but you only had to pay 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Of course, prices are going up, but the premise is, is you only had to pay a copay. I sold those prescription drug cards to companies all around the country. And every time you would go to the pharmacy and use the card that I sold, I would make money off of that prescription that you got. I would negotiate rates with the pharmacy, my company would, and then we would negotiate rates with the health providers that we partnered with or with the companies that we sold to. And every time you went to the pharmacy, I would make a buck or the company would make a buck or two bucks off that prescription, and I would get commissions called a pharmaceutical benefits manager. That's what I did for so long. And after many, many years and lots of favor, I wound up having, I don't know, 160, 170,000 employee lives. And for every one person that was on the medical plan or used a drug card, it would average about 1.3 prescriptions a month, no matter how many people you had in your family. That number's probably up now, okay, because of drug abuse and how many people are popping pills these days, right? And so I was doing really, really well, and I made a ton of money, and when I was in Tulsa, had gone to Oral Roberts University, and I was working in the corporate world. We had a lot of churches that were a part of our plans because we knew a lot of churches. We were in Tulsa, Jerusalem. We had a lot of friends that were pastors, and we wound up getting a lot of these churches. And because I worked and sold these drug cards, worked for this company and sold these cards, I was able to see the top most prescribed pres prescriptions. Now you can go online and Google what are the top prescribed prescriptions in our nation. There are medications for cholesterol, heart disease, but the top ones are antidepressants, ADD medications, narcotics. I think now it's shifted hydrocodones like in the top three. So pain pills, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, sleeping pills. These are the top prescribed medications in our nation right now. And if we think that the church is immune to the attacks of the enemy and the struggles and the challenges of society, we're sadly mistaken. Because as I looked at the church's top prescribed medications, they were just the same as the world was. And that's all right. It's all right because here we are as a church designed to help people get healthy and strong and get healed and to overcome. We have a motto here at Rock City Church. It's kind of an odd saying. This is what we say in our leadership meetings. When we hear about things happening or people struggling, new people that come and the issues and the challenges that they have, one of our mottos is, is if somebody comes to Rock City without an issue, there's a problem. Because here's what I know. I know firsthand that people are hurting and broken, lost, sick, and dying. I can't pretend that pornography is not an issue in our church. I can't pretend that depression, fear, worry, sleepless nights, and drug addiction, alcoholism, perversion, all these things are not going to be issues in our church. What has to happen is, is we have to get healthy and strong so that we can help somebody else when they're coming in right behind you. The church is designed to be more like a hospital, not a palace. Remember that. 
So yes, people are going to come in hurting and broken. And chances are likely many of you here today are struggling with depression, anxiety, worry, fear, sleepless nights. Chances are highly likely that many of us here could be struggling with various addictions or some of you could be struggling with pornography. I know the statistics. And what I want you to know is I'm okay with that because I'm glad that you're here today. Because now that you're here, I can give you hope, answers, and life and hopefully call you up higher to break out of the dysfunction. Does that make sense? So when I tell you I understand these are issues I know firsthand by my last job. When you get born again, something shifts and something changes. And when you become a Christian, something changes. God has the ability of pulling you out of that hurt and that pain and that dysfunction. Here's the deal. I've got the joy of the Lord right now. And I always have the joy of the Lord. It doesn't mean that I don't go through difficult times and struggles. It doesn't mean that depression, anxiety, worry, and doubt, and dysfunction doesn't try to knock on my door. Because it does. The point is, is now I choose to not open it. And when I used to open it because I was hurting on the inside, because I had an abs absence of love, and because I didn't know who I was and he was, when I used to open that door, I shut it, and I keep it shut. But you need, some of you need help getting that door shut. Let's just be honest. Chances are likely there's a lot of dysfunction in a room of about 300 people. Thank God. Because you could get help today. And I'm going to give you something today that's going to rock you. You're going to walk out of this door with a smile on your face. Because today I'm going to be talking about an awesome topic. And that's the topic of joy. So go ahead and smile. It's all right. You know, I've never actually taken time to just teach straight on joy. But something happened to me recently. I was sitting in my truck by the water. And I had this awesome epiphany with the Lord. It was like a eureka moment about something. I mean, I, I can be pretty AD, D, D, ADD at times. So thank God for my coffee. My wife says precisely, exactly. Thank God for my coffee and spending time with the Lord. I mean, I don't know what I got sidetracked on, a duck bobbing for food, a redfish tailing, a seagull, an osprey diving deep for food. I, I sit by the water. I write all my messages. I don't even have an office. I don't even want an office. I want to be out where I can experience the greatness of the Lord and who he is. And I had this moment. I had a moment. I started crying. And then I started smiling. And I, I mean, I was like, yeah. And I caught myself smiling in the rearview mirror of my truck. I caught myself smiling. And the Lord said, I love your smile. And I started crying even more. Because I had realized how I'd gotten so serious with the cares of this world and the struggles and the challenge of my life. Worrying about money, kids, job, business, broken equipment, coffee shops. We got a growing church. I got coffee shops, I got babies, I've got my wife, I've got my life, I've got all these responsibilities. And if I'm not careful, and if you're not careful, you'll get caught up or entangled in it, and then you won't be able to warfare effectively, and the way that God wants you to warfare is out of a place of fullness of joy. And God said, I'm restoring the fullness of joy. I'm going to make you full of joy again. And that's what I'm releasing into my church. Because if joy is solely based on the money and the friends and what your spouse does, Oh, man, you're going to have a rough life. We all know that money can't buy you happiness. And some of us are so worried about the mighty dollar and the next bill and the next problem and the next issue or our kids getting sick. And when you can learn to maintain a posture and a position of joy and gladness and serve the Lord out of joy and gladness, something shifts and you get lit on fire. I want people to say, man, you go to that church where that pastor's fired, so fired up. I, don't want, I didn't want to be known as the cool, long-haired pastor anymore. I want to be known as the man that prophesies and loves well and breathes fire and life. And that since you started coming, you got so on fire. So people say, What's got, what happened to you? You're talking about Jesus way more. You used to constantly be talking about the president, and now all you want to do is talk about Jesus. You go, yeah, because I'm lit on fire, and I got joy. Because when you got born again, if you've been born again here, you should have had something called the joy of your salvation. 
And God never wants you to lose it. And when you get the joy of your salvation back into your life, you become the greatest witness. And I'm going to show you that in Psalm 51 today. So first, are you guys excited? Yeah. Aren't you already feeling good? And it's not even Christmas. Christmas in February. So let me, let me define joy for you so you understand that joy is an expression. Joy is an emotion. Let's say that. Joy is an emotion. But it's an external emotion that comes from an inward position. You can't fake it till you make it. I hate that saying, by the way. Don't fake it till you make it. Be authentic. That's what God wants. Because when you get authentic, he can have a real conversation with you. Now you're not pretending anymore. We don't want pretending. We want authenticity. So joy is defined as an emotion or the expression or the display of a glad feeling. Now, I know some of you aren't feelers. My wife's not a high feeler. She often says to me, you're such a feeler, you're such a feeler. I'm like, yeah, I'm such a feeler. Thank God. God puts opposites together for a reason. When I could be impulsive and moved by feelings and emotions, she brings steady, anchored strength to my life. And then thank God that at times when she isn't willing to take the risk and step out on faith, I say to her, I really feel like the Lord. And she goes, I'm going to trust that feeling. Because we learn to lean on each other's strengths. But having joy is an authentic, authenticity and an authentic feeling on the inside that causes an external display. I'm joyous. And when you're joyous, people want to be around you. How many of you want to be around a lemon-sucking, hunchback, <laughs> up, unhappy? I mean, look, here's the deal. I know you're going through a lot of hard times. But if you can learn to maintain the joy of the Lord in a posture position in your life, you become immovable and you become an incredible reflection of what the Lord's saying and doing. Joy is great delight. Let's say great delight. Say it again. Great delight. Great delight. Or happiness caused by something exceptionally good and satisfying. Now, let me put it in perspective. Let's say you, put, you file your taxes. Some of you already have. You're going to get $10,000, $5,000, $2,000, $20,000 back. Who's going to be happy? <laughs> Let's say that, that something happened and wiped out all your debt. Who would be happy? Let's say that you never had a care in this world. Everything was good. Your kids were healthy. You had no problems at work. All, everything's firing on all cylinders. You're full. You're satisfied in every way. Debt's taken care of. You have no fear, no worries. Who would be excited? Would you be joyous? Now, what I want to tell you is that you've got to learn to maintain a posture of joy despite those things, but I also want to tell you that God has a way of bringing those things into your life because the Lord wants you to be debt-free. The Lord wants you to, your kids to be healthy. The Lord wants you to have a posture and a position in every area of your life that's firing on all cylinders. It doesn't always happen that way, but when it doesn't happen, I don't fall into depression, anxiety, worry, fear, and throw in the towel and give up. Instead, I maintain a position because of something. And today, I'm going to teach you how you can stay full of joy at all times. Who wants to be full of joy at all times? If you're stressed, worried, anxious, nervous, upset, depressed, if you're checking in, you know what happens when you're depressed and anxious and worried and stressed and afraid? You numb it out or you mask it. You can have a, you know, every night's a movie-a-thon. Every night, you're checking out a couple extra brewskis, a few doobies. I don't care that joins. What do they call it today? I don't even know what they call it today. It was doobies back in my day. Let's get to the scripture, John 15, 11. Now, this is a very important scripture for you. This is important for all of us. There's so many nuggets of truth in this one scripture, and I'm going to give you a lot today. And I'm going to bring it quick. So take some notes or listen close. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let's break the scripture down. The word spoken in the Greek is the word laleo. It means something that Jesus has said or when he spoke to the disciples personally. This would be a picture of the promises that God spoke to you when you were a child or you first gave your life to Jesus or when you had encounters or moments where you felt like God talked to you, if you've never felt like God's talked to you, we got to fix your, your hearer. 
okay? Because hearing God's voice lights you on fire. I've taught that a lot here. Let me remind you, the word for voice in the Greek is the word phone, like your telephone, and rooted in the word of phone, which means to hear a distinct sound or tone from heaven, which is God's voice. In the word phone is the word foes, which means rays of light or fire. It's so simple. Hear God's voice, get lit on fire. And if I can get you to start hearing God's voice and shift your thinking to the understanding that God wants to speak to everyone, and if I can get you to live by Romans 8, 14, we've accomplished, I mean, we've arrived. Romans 8, 14, the true sons of God or daughters are led, everybody say led, by the Holy Ghost. Yeah. All right. So. The word spoken, laleo, is also akin to another word when God speaks, and that's the word lego. The word lego means to lay a discourse or lay a foundation. So think of legos. When God speaks, it puts pieces into your life so that he can build you to become what he wants you to become. So Jesus said, if, you're, if you know what I've spoken to you, hence his word. Some of you may know where I'm about to go with this. Hence his word. If you know what God has spoken and you keep it in front of you daily and you constantly are reminded by God's word of who you are, what he said, how he loves, how he feels, when you're constantly being reminded by God's written word through reading your Bible, which then brings God's spoken word. You can't know what God has said if you don't, or what God is saying if you don't know what he said. So you got to get the foundation of Lego because God's word positions your life and lays a discourse of what you're becoming. So I can pretty much attribute this. If you're not reading your Bible and you don't know what God is saying, you will not be happy. Because he said, I spoke these things to you. Why? So that your joy would remain. Say these three words with me. Say place, time, and condition. That's what it means to remain. It means every place, every time, and no matter what your condition is. Let's say it again. Place, time, and condition. That's what it means to remain. It means it never leaves you. Are we Christians or not? Because if we're Christians, we should be maintaining a posture of supernatural joy no matter what I face. And if I haven't demonstrated this church through the loss of a baby, my mom, sickness, hardship, difficulties, no matter what I face, no matter how much equipment breaks at my coffee shop, no matter how many people get sideways, no matter the difficulty you learn to maintain, let's say this, learn to maintain by abiding in the word. So I can attribute the fact that if you're not reading your Bible, you'll forget what God has said about you and you'll lose your position of fullness of joy because God wants you to be full. Let's say God wants me to be full. Here's what full means. Full means to be supplied and furnished liberally. It means to abound. It means to be complete. It, it's the concept of this. It means I'm so completely full to the brim that I can't take anymore. I just, have you ever heard the statement, God's just too good or that's just too good? He's just too good. Because he's more than you could ever ask or think. Can you imagine coming to the place of total satisfaction? Now, don't get me wrong. I always want more of the Lord. Wanting more of the Lord is a given. It's so, he's so good, I want more. But the premise is, is I'm so completely satisfied because my joy is full and the joy never left. The joy never left. So when the joy is left, if you're stressed, worried, anxious, nervous, going through all the manifestations of the, of the world and the darkness and the devil, all those things, then probably what's happened, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but probably what's happened is you've stopped reading your Bible or you don't know what God has said. So just go, busted. Because I already know, <laughs> I've done this enough to know that you have to fight for time in the word, that you have to make a sacrifice. It means cancel the meeting. 
It means sacrifice whatever you got to do. It means even if it means sacrificing the gym. Even if it means we spend more time on Facebook and Instagram and social media and trying to take care of our physical bodies and we're lacking in the spirit and we're lacking in joy because we won't fight for the time to spend with the Lord and read the Bible. The premise here is that the things Jesus spoke would always be before us and the promise of his words would not only bring complete joy to our life but it would enable joy to remain. His word is a constant reminder of how he loves and feels about you. It also guides, directs, and answers your every need for life. I have the answer for everyone. And that's not haughty and arrogant. So let's say this. I have the answer, have the answer for, everyone. for everyone. His name is Jesus. Yeah. Let's just say it again. His name is Jesus. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about religion. Get out of your mind. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm not talking about doctrinal differences. If we could all get the main thing, the main thing, and start getting some of Jesus' love ruling and reigning in our life and focus on how awesome he is and let Jesus move through you, it'll tear down the divides and you'll learn how to love really well. The Lord's always required obedience to his word. Always. There's no getting around obedience to God's word. However, the last thing that God wants you to do is to be obedient begrudgingly. God doesn't want you to do it because you have to. He didn't have to put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. He could have created utopia garden or the garden of bliss and perfection. But instead, in the perfect garden that he created, there was an imperfect tree. And he said, I'm going to paraphrase, Adam, if you love me, don't eat from this tree because it'll kill you. I'm giving you a better tree. So because of choice and because of desire, God wants us to desire him. He wants us to have joy and gladness and love for him. He could have created a bunch of Christian robots and made you. He didn't make you. Every day you have a choice. And in many nations, China, most Muslim countries, if you get caught with the Bible, off with your head. Church is illegal in China and many other nations. This gathering is illegal in many countries. And we take it for granted every day. We've got Bibles everywhere, by our bed, on our shelf, on our phone, our iPads. We have zero excuse to not be spending time in God's Word. Now, many of you don't know how to read the Bible, and you need discipleship, which is why right now, every Sunday, 930, Unit C1, if you're desperate and you want to learn the Word and understand what the Christian life is supposed to look like, then you'll go over to the Cultivate meetings every Sunday for the next eight weeks. Well, actually, it won't be going on during Dan Moeller. But there's eight more weeks left. I want to encourage you guys to go get with my discipleship director, Warren, and his team and go over and grow in your knowledge of the Lord between G and C and H and our block. So God always wanted obedience, right? Right? Okay. But he doesn't want you to do it begrudgingly. He wants you to do it out of love. And so what the father would do is he would fascinate his children through incredible deliverance with signs and wonders. He would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, and he would do it miraculously. I'm talking parting of the Red Sea, plagues. I mean, everything about that deliverance was supernatural. They get hemmed in by the Red Sea. They're just about to die. Moses raises his staff, which is a picture of trusting in the promises of God and that his word rules and reigns over every circumstance. Parts the Red Sea. They march through the Red Sea, kills all the Egyptians, and then what happens? All through the wilderness, God would lead them through a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And whenever the cloud moved, they would move. It was all supernatural. So God would demonstrate his faithfulness not only through his creation and his delivering power, but also by interacting intimately with your life. God wants to interact with your life every day. It's called daily bread. Every day, Jesus said, behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. That was written to a church, and that if you would open up the door, Jesus would come in and dine with you. We were hanging out at our friend's house. This is the third time this has happened, second or third time. And my little son, Zion, has pointed to the door. He doesn't do this at our own house. He's pointed to the door and said, Jesus is right there. He's two. Jesus over there. Jesus right there. That's how he talked. Jesus right there. 
on random occasions will be driving and he'll point out the window, Jesus, the Lord's already shown me my son's a seer. And I'm going to cultivate that ability. I mean, I hope he sees demons and the Holy Ghost and angels. I'm going to cultivate that and I'm going to teach him the power. You know, we, we, play, we play monster. Don't freak out. We play monster. I chase the kids around the house. And we have fun. But if they, when any time they've ever, like, really gotten scared about a monster, I say, oh, there's no such thing as monsters or ghosts. There's only the Holy Ghost or demons. And you win. Jesus already won, so you don't need to be afraid. And then there was a time where my son Zion got scared, and I heard my four-year-old go, you don't have to be afraid, Zion. There's only the Holy Ghost. Huh? There's no such thing as ghosts. There's only the Holy Ghost. So, everybody say, observe and obey. So in Deuteronomy 28, the Lord would lay out all these blessings and curses. And he'd say, basically, look, if you do all these things, you're going to really be blessed. But if you don't do those things, you'll be cursed. Now, I believe a lot of those curses have shifted and changed with the understanding of the New Testament and Jesus coming. But the Old Testament is designed to be examples and give us patterns to follow. So I'm going to tell you this. When the Israelites would make the decision throughout the entire Old Testament to not observe and obey. Observe means... To look at, behold, contemplate, and consider. That's what you do with God's word. So you're not going to be able to obey something if you don't get faith first. That's why I don't beat you hard with obedience. Some churches, some pastors beat obedience into, into God's people. You've got to have faith first. Because faith, getting born again, the joy of your salvation awakens you. Remember what I've taught before. If there's no wonder, there's no hunger. So you put the cart before the horse if we just hammer you with obedience. So everywhere in the Old Testament, God say, observe and obey. But God never wanted you to do it in a way that was begrudgingly or hard, so hard that you couldn't do it. Nor did he want you to do it because he, just because you have to. He wants you to do it because you want to, right? Well, whenever the Israelites wouldn't do it, this is what would happen. This is a, I'll summarize almost the whole Old Testament for you. Anytime they didn't, they would get into bondage and captivity. And oftentimes the captivity was oppression or sold into slavery by another nation. Another nation would come and wipe out Israel, take them into captivity, right? And God would give this little nugget of truth, and I only want to point this out. I, you know, when I read Deuteronomy 28, I, want, I read all the blessings. I know the curses are there, but I'm such an optimist. I'm just like, you know what? I think I'll just observe and obey, and we'll keep it simple. I'm like, I'm just going to keep it simple. Lord, I love you, and I want the best that you have for me. Yeah. So I don't have to teach on all the curses. I'm just telling you, here's the result of not being obedient to God's word. The result is captivity. And there are a lot of people being held captive to what? Fear, worry, anxiety, depression, pornography, uh, fornication, all these things that are contrary to God's best for you. And so the Lord says, because you didn't serve the Lord with what? For the abundance of everything. God wants you to serve him with joy and gladness of heart. And God has given you the abundance of everything. But the lie of the devil is to get you to focus on the abundance of nothing. The lie of the devil is to get you to look at what you don't have and your problems. You got problems? Welcome to the kingdom of God. Because God does one thing really well. He fixes broken, and he fixes problems. And so we come to him as a family to become everything he wants us to become, right? That's what we want. And so he says, because you didn't serve the Lord with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. You know, there's been times in my life I could only say, thank you, Lord, that I'm breathing right now. There's been times in my life where I could only say, thank you for my fingers and my toes, because there's people that don't breathe. There's people that don't have fingers and toes. The devil always wants you focused on what you don't have and your problems. But I'm telling you today, if you'll start focusing on the solution, yeah. if you'll start looking at the things God has given you, and this scripture really points to one very important point as well, and that's an attitude of gratitude. Where's your thankfulness? That's why the Lord says to enter into his courts requires thanks, thankfulness.
and gladness. So if we'll be thankful, we'll be glad, and we'll have, allow God to put his joy in our life, we won't fall prey and captive to the enemy. And we won't find ourselves in bondage. You can only learn to serve the Lord with joy and gladness of heart when you recognize several things. Number one, how God loves and feels about you. If you can meditate on how God loves and feels about you, if you're reminded of that every day, if you can dwell in the place that you're his child, sons and daughters, man, you'd be so fired up. When you know how God loves and feels about you, the next thing is when you read your Bible, you got to read your Bible. And I know a lot of you are struggling in finding the time or learning how to read the Bible. And today, I'm just calling you up higher. Just, just say yes to the new thing that God wants to do and to coming back to the beginning and reading God's word like you did in the beginning. The next thing is hearing his voice. We talked about that. The next thing is recognizing what you have versus what you don't have. We got to stop focusing on what we don't have and start focusing on the abundance of everything that you do have. The next thing is be grateful. We got to be grateful. And then finally, you got to be full of the Spirit. Let's say that full of the Spirit. Getting born again will get you to heaven and make you aware of the kingdom of God. Being full of the Spirit will light you on fire and will be the more that God has in store for you. You got to have more. And God wants you to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and get the fullness of the Holy Spirit because here's why. Galatians 5.22 lists just seven of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Here's seven of the nine right here. I want this in my life because when love, this is the Holy Spirit, capital S, when love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, when these things are ruling in my life, I can become the husband, the father, the son, the boss, the employer, the pastor that God wants me to become. So you got to be full of the Holy Spirit constantly. you got to be full of spirit, right? Even in the Old Testament, David understood that only God could show him the best way to live, which he called the path of life. And it's when we know and follow the path of life that we experience his presence and his right hand. Because his presence brings fullness of joy and his right hand brings pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. I love this scripture. It's one of my favorites. David said, you will show me the path of life in your presence. This is all one scripture, by the way. The path of life, his presence, and his right hand brings true pleasure, true fullness of joy. Now, you know I like to teach you some new words every now and then. I enjoy learning some new words. How many of you know what the word sate means? Or, or this is a tough word to say, satiety or to be sated. The, word, the root word is sate. Okay, You probably heard satiated. Okay. You know what it means, the word sate? It means to be filled to excess. It means to have every desire fulfilled and satisfied. It also is another really neat word. This is the word surfeit. How many of you know what the word surfeit means? It doesn't mean let's go catch a wave at the beach. It sounds just like that. <laughs> the word surfeit means to have an excess or an excessive amount. The negative connotation of the word surfeit is the Chinese buffet, <laughs> which is where we can get the word gluttony, which is where we can get this connotation. It's an excess or overindulgence to the point of being uncomfortable. And this is my point. On a good side, God wants surfeit in your life, fullness of joy. On a negative side, if you don't get the fullness of joy from his presence, you'll become surfeit for the things of this world. And you'll be so overly, the devil will give you, take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you wanted to spend, 
and I forgot the last one, but there's a saying. <laughs> what? Keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Thank you. That's what sin does, and that's what the devil does. So the devil will stuff you to the point that ultimately you'll be miserable, which then, if you wake up and realize, you'll come back to the Lord, and that's what God wants you to do. Hallelujah. But I want you to never go to surfeit negatively. I want you to be so full and so satisfied so the presence, so I told somebody the other day when I went to pick up a carpet that I was having steam cleaned, he said, so what kind of church do you have? I said, I have a presence-driven church. I don't say that a lot, but that's what came out of me. He goes, what's a presence-driven church? I said, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> when Will Ford, our guest speaker last week, walked in these doors, we parked on the side, very unassuming over there, by the way. He didn't know what to expect. He'd never seen anything, and I parked over on the side, and we walked in. He got hit with a wall of the presence of God. He started crying and couldn't even talk for five minutes. And then he said, we're all spoiled. Don't take for granted what God's doing here. I want the presence of God so much in this church. I want a people of his presence. I want this scripture. This is a powerful scripture, because when his presence comes, it lights you up. And I want to teach you. God's word shows you the path of life. Do you know that? You guys want to know how to leave, live? Read your Bible. He shows you the path of life. Then he brings his presence, which lights you up, fullness complete. I'm stuffed to capacity. I am stuffed to capacity. And it actually offends people. Yeah! When I shout like that, man, don't, don't be so loud. My <laughs> wife always says... Why do you always have to be so loud? My wife says that to me. <laughs> yeah! We let out a shout! Oh, man, trust me. If you get fired up and lit up in fullness of joy, people are going to get offended. Why are you so happy? Why are you acting like that? What happened? You became a stiff, mature adult of God? Congratulations. You got more religious? You've been doing church a long time? Congratulations. I don't really want to hang around people like that. Do you? I want to get around some fire. I want some joy going. I want some laughter. Where's the smile? Listen. My wife doesn't know this story, but I used to cater on multi-million dollar yachts. I did this for about a year. When I was a head waiter and trainer for steak and ale restaurants, I got recruited. You guys might remember steak and ale. It's another lifetime ago, but I got recruited by a catering company in Miami that catered for multimillionaires on these incredible yachts out of Biscayne Bay. And I would go serve hors d'oeuvres and, you know, cock, shrimp cocktail and caviar and all this super right there under the city skylights of Miami out on Biscayne Bay, multimillion dollar yachts. But I'm having to work and serve and make sure everybody's really happy. And I'd get so intense. I get so intense a lot of times. And the owner stopped me and said, David, she stopped me right as I was in full speed end. She said, smile. She said, you have such an awesome smile. I have you here because you're so joyous and I love your personality. Don't ever lose that. That's what the people really want. Where's the joy? And I can tell you, if you'll get back into the presence and get back into his word and be reminded of who you are, Man, God will light you up. He'll light you up. So let's keep reading just a little bit more. You guys all right? You feeling good? All right. So David understood that God showing the path of life, his presence in his right hand, could only bring complete joy and pleasure. If you're looking for pleasure, I'm telling you there's no pleasure like the presence of God. No pleasure like the presence of God. However, there was a time when David got lazy and began to overindulge in his satiety and surfeit. He lost sight of his mission, and he got sidetracked, and he became complacent. He had everything he could ever want or ask for, everything. He was king of the land, and it was easy, and he found himself not being able to sleep. He had insomnia. He was lonely when he was really had everything he could want for. He was lonely, he couldn't sleep, he was anxious, and he was sidetracked, 
and he goes up onto the roof when he should have been out on battle, and there's Bathsheba. Now, I don't need to tell you the whole story. David sleeps with another woman. He commits an adulterous affair, sleeps with another man's wife. Then he commits murder. Then he gets busted by a prophet, Nathan. And you know what David did when he got busted? Many of you might not have read this, but you should go read the story. David is quick to say, busted. David was, was called a man after God's own heart. You know why? Not because he didn't fail and fall short, but because he was so quick to repent and say, man, I screwed up. That was one of the reasons. I mean, he pursued the Lord like no other. I mean, this guy was a worshiper. I mean, he was extravagant. But when he got sidetracked and when he screwed up big time, he wrote a psalm, a song, Psalm 51. And I want to challenge you today, if you feel like you've been failing miserably, to spend a lot of time in Psalm 51. This psalm has helped me through so many failures for so long. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've screwed up so bad that God would take me back to Psalm 51 and I would identify with David in this psalm. But David wrote this scripture. Everybody say restore. restore. <laughs> you know what the word restore means? It means take me back. Say take me back, take me back. to the beginning. Restore means I'm taking you back to your roots. It means I'm breaking off the institution pollution out of your life. It means I'm taking you back to the place when you were first so fired up and excited because all your sins were forgiven and you got a brand new lease on life that when you messed up or when you realized how much you needed Jesus' forgiveness, he came and he touched you and you got so lit up and David said, I had forgotten that and I'd gotten sidetracked and in turn, I became complacent, lonely, isolated, which led me to sin. Now, you know what happens? There's a couple things here. First of all, when David sinned miserably, you know what he knew? He knew that David was a restorer. God is a restorer. You know what else God is? He's generous. And he upholds. Look at the patterns. If you've been feeling like God's far from you and you've screwed up so bad, let me just call you back. God wants to restore you. He wants to uphold you. He's generous. That's who he is. And you know what happens when you live in the joy of the Lord full time? I'm not boasting in myself. It's all the Lord. But I think what's made me a really great witness and why a lot of people are coming here is because of the fire and because of the joy. Because look at the next scripture. David realized in verse 13 that when the joy of the Lord is ruling and reigning in your life, you become such a great witness. When man, I've had people walk up to me that don't know I'm a pastor. They witness, I've had people try to witness to me. Man, it's, if they don't come with some joy of the Lord and authenticity, it's a bad situation for them. Because <laughs> we're going to be doing a ninja flip reversal witnessing, and I'll be witnessing to them. Have you ever met? Some of you used to be so religious in your witnessing, and you did it out of duty, and you knew all the right scriptures, and you were on a mission to convert everybody and get them saved. Let's see how many people we can go get saved today. And if your mission is to get somebody, just to get somebody saved, then I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to miss the hardcore essence of love and the way Jesus wants you to love, because my love will convert, my witness, the, this is the pattern. When you got the joy of the Lord going on in your life, people are going to say, what is going on with you? I like you. I want to come check out your church. I want to hang out with you. And you say, it's all Jesus. Jesus, you wouldn't believe what he did. Man, I'm so fired up because I was once a fornicating womanizer, ladies' night, constantly getting drunk, smoking pot, selling drugs, doing things I'd never, things I'm not happy about, but I'm not afraid to talk about, as long as there's not children in the room. I tell my story because I realize I'm not that person anymore, and I realize what God's done, and it lights me up, and it will light the person up that I'm witnessing to, right? So David knew if he, if he got restoration, what would happen? He would teach people, he would teach transgressors their ways, and sinners will be converted, right? I'm going to tell you one quick story from the Old Testament. I'm going to paraphrase one, and I'm going to read to you one, and then I'm going to pray for you. Okay. David 
loved God's presence. He, was, he would love God's presence. And he knew that God's presence would bring supernatural joy and perfect love into a person's life, but not just a person, a city, and a nation. I believe what will transform Corpus Christi is God's presence. And a people that are so in love with his presence. And that will worship him and love him and welcome him extravagantly. And so when the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence and promises, in the Old Testament you had the Ark of the Covenant. And it had all these symbolic things that were an olive branch for after the flood. It had the, the Ten Commandments. It had manna. All the faithfulness to be reminded of what God's done. But it also was a picture of God's presence. So where the ark went, God's presence went, right? And so when the ark would finally be brought home to Jerusalem after a long, incredible, arduous process of getting it back, which I don't have time to go into that, this is how David would do it. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 25. So David, this, it's 25 through 28 if you're taking notes. So David... The elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with what? Joy. With what? Joy. Now remember, joy is an expression and a demonstration and a reflection of something going on inside of you. So they would bring it back, and I'll paraphrase the next few scriptures for the sake of time. They would sacrifice seven rams, and then they would sacrifice seven bulls, which is a picture of completion. And rest, which is what I believe God does to our life. He brings us into rest, and he fully completes us. He completes you, and he brings you to a place of complete rest, right? So David puts on fine linen, and so do the priests. It's all a picture of purity and holiness. Here comes the presence of the Lord. David's wearing a linen ephod. Verse 28. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with what? With shouting and with the sound of the horn, trumpets symbols making music with stringed instruments and harps now let me tell you what david was doing david was leaping and whirling and dancing so much so that his clothes fell off now that's happened to me before in church back in the day in the 90s i used to have these kind of disco button-up shirts and when i was up playing my drum man my eyes were closed and i was dancing and my shirt came unbuttoned for like 10 minutes before i realized oh my gosh and then I buttoned it up and I laughed. Everybody got a good picture of my chest. Don't go there in your mind. The point is, is that it happened, all right? It happened. So look at what happened when the presence came. There was shouting. There was dancing. There was joy. And the king didn't care what anybody thought. That's why I'm up there. I'm waving my hands. I know it may look a little weird and silly. And I know there's going to be people that are going to come in and be skeptics and leave and not like it. And I know there's people that come here that struggle with the dancing and the one girl that dance, two girls, ten girls that dances without their shoes on. Oh, my gosh. Somebody's dancing without their shoes on. It's too wild for me. And we get skeptical, and then this is what happens. And then we become just like this, verse 29. When... Michal saw David whirling and playing music. She despised him in her heart. The word despise means that's pointless. It means that's worthless. And it's, it's coming to nothing, which is the lie of the enemy. Why in the world is that guy or that girl dancing, shouting, and so happy and being the way? And what I'm telling you is when God's presence starts lighting you up, somebody's going to disdain what's inside of you. And it's a lie of the enemy. What I want to challenge you to do is not be a disdainer. What I want to challenge you to do is not be the person with the ever watchful eye. And what I want to challenge you to do is get at, some of you said, I'm not, that's just not me and I'm never going to be that way. Okay, David, the king of all Israel was that way. When the presence of God comes, you can't help yourself sometimes but to just be free. I'll just tell you this one quick story. Many of you should know the story of Nehemiah. After Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, in chapter 6, Nehemiah 6, in chapter 7, the, captivities were, the captives were brought back. They had been held bondage in Babylon. So they come back. Chapter 6, he builds the wall. Chapter 7, the captives come back. And in chapter 8, the first thing they do is they bring the reading of the word back. And Ezra, he calls on Ezra. Ezra gets up on this big platform and starts reading the Mosaic law to everybody. 
for the first time. They'd been in bondage and captivity without the word in their life for a very long time. So then here comes Ezra and reads the Mosaic law, and the people start raising their hand and saying, amen, amen. This is all uh, Nehemiah 8, by the way. I'd encourage you to read it. And they start saying, amen, amen, and they fall to the ground weeping and crying. How many of you have ever heard this statement, the joy of the Lord's your strength? How many of you have ever heard the joy of the Lord's your strength? Do you know it comes from this chapter? Because Nehemiah stands up and says, listen, I know you were cut to the heart and grieved because the word helped you to realize how erroneous you had become. But now that the word has come back and we've been set free, instead of weeping and crying and laying down prostrate, get up, go to your houses, have a party. And I don't mean a keg party like you once did. He means go have some good food, fellowship, friends, play some good. Be joyous and be excited for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where that came from because God's word had been restored. Okay? So I'll leave you with this scripture, Romans 14, 17 through 18. We get so sidetracked by so many things, do's and don'ts. And Paul reminded us one very important thing. It's not about what you eat and drink and wear and your clothes and how you look and all the religious rules. What it's about is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you want to experience the kingdom of God in every area of your life, you've got to have righteousness, peace, and joy. Everybody say in. Let's say it again. In. Not in religion, in the Holy Spirit. I want to get more in the Holy Ghost. I want to be so saturated by the presence of God and lit up even more in the Holy Ghost. And then finally, here's a great scripture. It's a picture of our church, Romans 15, 13. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!